Hey guys, good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> I hope that you are doing amazing. Grab my water. Uh, I hope all, all is well with you guys. And everybody is uh, healthy, staying busy, and growing, and enjoying life, and getting the most out of life, like squeezing everything we can. And the best way to do that, that I know of, is by walking by faith. When you walk by faith and you're in tune with the creator of the universe, you can't help but get the most out of this life. I mean, God is gonna take you on the ride of your life when you connect to him and when you walk with him and when you let the creator of the universe, the maker of all things, when you let him have his way in your life, oh my gosh, God is just going to do incredible things. Little at a time, but consistent, powerful, and eternal things. Things that are going to last forever. Like you can invest in a lot of stuff in this world. But when you know that what you're doing is going to last forever. Changing people's lives, working with young people, helping them grow in their faith and become young, godly people that will pass that on to their children. Generations after we're gone, an impact has been left on people that we have touched for God. There isn't anything like it. So we are striving to walk by faith. That is it. That is the best way to live our lives. There is no greater way to live. Walking by faith. And summer is here and we're walking with the sun in the heat of the day. And I don't know about you, but in North Carolina, it's pretty hot. It's hot. Here's what we said. We walk by faith and it's really important. I just want to keep driving these truths home. Each one of these slides, the next like six, seven slides are, were a sermon. And this kind of summed it up. Okay. But, but when we, when we recall and remember and uh, repetition, we just keep driving these, these scriptures into our mind and into our heart. Then when life happens, we, they're there. We've got them there. And that's why I keep pounding on these truths, these just fundamental truths for our spiritual walk. Just like in any sports, any athlete, the fundamentals. If you don't do the fundamentals right, you are not going to be successful in sports or in life or in your spiritual walk. And so I'm going to drive these home. We walk by faith and not by sight, okay? And say these with me, y'all. You know, don't, don't just, just don't let me just read them. Say them with me because saying them helps, okay? We walk by faith and not by sight. James said, faith without deeds is dead. Ah, that's powerful. This life, Paul said in Galatians 2, I, that I now live in this flesh, in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, gave himself for me. Colossians 3, faith clothes itself in Jesus. I am clothed in Jesus when I am walking in faith, or at least I ought to be. Walking in faith is walking by the Spirit. You can't have, you can't walk in faith if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. We talked about taking a stand, let nothing move you out of 1 Corinthians. Let not, walking by faith means that we are going to stand for the truth of God in this world. And we're going to speak up against the evils and the injustices of this world. We're going to take a stand. 
Psalm 27 said walking by, we said walking by faith means waiting on the Lord. That's what we talked about last week. And so today, walking by faith means this. Walking by faith means we are going to have the same mind as Jesus. We are going to think like Jesus. We're going to then train ourselves to respond like Jesus and act like Jesus and treat the world, treat people, treat every situation, every circumstance that comes our way. We are going to treat it the way Jesus would treat it if he were living and moving in us because he is. Okay? Having the same mind as Jesus is what it means to walk by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you so much and we want to know and learn how to love you even more. God, we want to know not just who you are, your goodness and your grace and your mercy, God, but, but how you want to live in us and work through us and use us while you're saving us, God, as you you use us to help others come to know you. God, we, we pray that you would give us the same mind that was in Jesus. That every day we would be better at acting like you and behaving like you and thinking like you and our thought processes would become more like you. Not just our actions, but our very thinking. God, help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we are going to be today in the book of Philippians. Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Philippians. No pun intended there. Just go on over there. Just get on over to Philippians, okay? You're going to want to look at these verses with me as we go through this. Paul established this church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. And so, uh, just in, in way of a timeline, Jesus came to the earth around 3 or 4 BC. Jesus dies on a cross around 30 AD. He's about 33 years old. The church then is birthed. Remember the ascension period, 40 days. And then the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church is birthed around 30 AD. Okay? And so... Shortly after that, Paul becomes a Christian and gives his life to Jesus. And then the church begins to move out and grow over the next period of time. About Probably about uh, 10 to 15 to 20 years. There's this period of time where the church is just spreading through Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria. And, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. So 16 or so years later, Paul, uh, they go on, he goes on his first missionary journey. And then several years later, around 50 AD, so that's 20 years after the ascension and the day of Pentecost, 20 years later, Paul is going to go on his second missionary journey where he is going to establish a bunch of churches, and one of them is the church in Philippi. So just, uh, you know, it's always uh, interesting to me to note the timeline, right? This is Jesus dies in 30 AD, and this church is... It's planted like 20 years later. 
Well, sometime later after that, around 62 AD, Paul, around 60 AD, Paul is in prison, but he writes a, a number of letters uh, from prison to these churches that he began. And one of these letters is to the church in Philippi, to the Philippian people, the Philippians. Um, and so there's a number of letters that he wrote in prison to these churches, Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. Uh, and in a number of the letters that Paul writes, as you read through Paul's writings, a lot of times Paul, what Paul is doing, he is, is dealing with crisis, things that are going on in the church that, that he is hearing about, and now he's writing in response to things that are going on. But this letter to the Philippians is a little bit different than many of the other letters. In this letter, Paul is writing out of his deep love and tenderness and just this joy that he has for the people in Philippi and how they have responded to him and how they have treated him. And there is a big difference between writing a letter to somebody of encouragement and love and joy that you know them and a letter that you have to write of rebuke or correction or a crisis, right? There's a big difference in those kind of writings. And so Paul in this letter is writing this letter uh, with this sense of love and tenderness and just gratefulness for these people. It's in this letter that we get some really great, powerful passages like this one. First, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now that's that verse right there hits our walk by faith topic right smack in the head, doesn't it? God, Paul says, he who began this good work in you, this walking by faith, who, he, he, who's begun this in you that drew you to God, now you're walking in the faith with him. God, God himself is going to carry that work out in you until, the, until it's completed. God promises to, to help us walk by faith and bring us to completion. And then he says, until the day of Christ, that is until the second coming of Jesus, God is working on us right up until the very end. That's a powerful passage. There's another passage, chapter 1, verse 21, to live is Christ, Paul says in Philippians, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul, powerful passage. And then um, in chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Tim Tebow's uh, go-to passage, uh, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything through Christ. Who gives me strength. So, so we get a lot of really important passages, some, some good truths, some good letters, some great encouragement that we get from Paul in this letter to the Philippians. But he also shares with them a number of things. In this letter, he shares with them about his sufferings, right? That, that, and his imprisonment and, and what he is personally going through. He's sharing this, his, his experience and his story with the Philippians. He, he talks about uh, pressing forward to them, to, to keep moving forward in our faith, keep going forward, that encouragement of that. He talks about in this letter a number of times the joy that he has for them in Christ. And so he talks about a number of things, but it's so encouraging to Paul. What we're going to do is zoom into chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2, open your Bibles, and we're going to look at some of these verses. 
and in this passage that we're going to look at, Paul is going to give us some really good insight. Some, 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 he's going to reveal to us some important truth about how the mind of Christ is critical for walking by faith. Having this mind of Jesus is going to help us, is really going to be like next to the Holy Spirit living in us and helping us to walk the faith. Having the mind of Jesus is going to also help us walk by faith. So we're in verses 1 to 11. That's going to be our focus. But in verse 5 of this section, 1 to 11, right smack in the middle, verse 5, here's what Paul says. This is the heartbeat of it all. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Get it? In the relationships that you have with people in the world, you are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things that we deal with in the world. Our car, our home, stuff that we know is all going to perish. The most important part of all of creation next to God, after God, is our relationship with people. Beginning with Adam and Eve, their children, their children, generation, generation. Here we are. Now, people. People are, to God, the most important part of the universe, of all of his creatures. People are the only ones that he has made in the image of God, that he made in his own image. Not dogs, not cats, not people, not pets, not fish, not nothing. People, only people. And so God is very concerned about how we live among people. And right now, we're not doing a very good job of it in this country. There's a lot of divisiveness going on. And there's a lot of, like, thrust to, in the name of unity, to make us even more divided. And uh, most people see right through that, right? But God is concerned about our relationships. And why is he so concerned about our relationships? Because, because the way that we love our neighbor, Bible says, is the way that we love God. And if we don't love our neighbor, then how can we say we love God? There's another reason, because of the two greatest commandments that God has given us in the New Testament that sum up all of the Old Testament laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, this is why having the mind of Christ when it comes to how we treat others is so critically important. And because in Matthew chapter 25, on judgment day, we are going to be judged on how we treated the least of these, how we treated other people, especially people that are in need, people who are struggling in this world. God is going to judge you, and he's going to judge me by how we treat people. And so having the mind of Christ puts us in a better frame of thought when it comes to how we treat people in this world. And I've got to admit, we don't do a very good job. There's people we love. There's people we don't like so much. There's people we get along with. There's people we don't get along with. There's people we butt, butt heads with. And there's people that we just like click with instantly. And so it's odd. It is, it's weird, but all of us are in the same boat. And what we have to do is try to fight through that, especially in the difficult relationships that we have that do not come easy. 
God wants us to have the mind of Christ in them as well. And so Paul is going to do what every good preacher must do. And not just every preacher, but every believer, everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And that is he's going to point people to Jesus. He, Paul is going to point people to the heart and to the mind of Jesus. And he says, have the same mindset as Jesus. In other words, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. You want to walk by faith? You are not going to be able to do it if you aren't trying personally, physically, with your own being to connect with God in such a way that you are training yourself to have the mind of Christ. When I had a ministry in um. It was in uh, Arkansas, Mountain Home, Arkansas. We named our youth ministry Mock Ministry, M-O-C, Mock Ministry. And we were, our goal was to challenge teenagers to have the mock of Christ, the mind of Christ, to live their way, lives in such a way that they were thinking like Jesus would think. And that's what we should all be doing. So in verse 5, this is the core of the whole section. It's the core passage of this verse. And everything around it, the first few verses and the last bunch of verses, they all fit into this truth that Paul is trying to help us understand how to do this and what that looks like. And so here's what Paul says. He says in verse 1, Therefore, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's good, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, Paul says, make my joy complete. You've already made me joyful. Make it complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so Paul starts these first four verses out with this powerful statement that's filled with truth about what it should look like how we treat each other. How we get along with people. How, how we should conduct ourselves with people in this world and in our workplace and in our family and in our neighborhoods and our communities and wherever we are. This is how we should conduct ourselves. You know, it's so easy. It's just so easy to get pulled into the anger of the world, isn't it? I mean, it's just so easy. You're driving down the road, people cut you off, or you're walking down the sidewalk and somebody looks at you weird or says something stupid to you. You know, it's so easy to get sucked into the anger of the world where, where you, you begin to treat everybody like they're the enemy. You begin to treat everybody like they're gonna mug you or jump you or rob. And, and it's so, so not true. I mean, there are those people out there but, but we can't allow the world to pull us into its vacuum of anger and hatred and bitterness and defensiveness, even though we need to keep these things in mind. We're striving to live for God. We're striving to have the heart and the mind of Jesus, not the world. And so we gotta come out of that and, and get our mind back on 
thinking like Jesus and loving like Jesus and trusting God as we walk down the street. Paul says these things. He begins with a word of encouragement, right? Being united with Jesus should be most encouraging. When you're united with Christ, you should be like empowered by God, by Jesus, encouraged by Jesus, right? And united with him. This, this, there is great comfort. Look what he says. There's great, if, if any comfort of his love, knowing the love of God that he has for you, this should be comfort to you. It should be comfort to us. And there's a common sharing in the spirit. You see it? He says, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, Paul's saying, look, when you come into Jesus, there, there's a whole lot of, of good stuff there. I mean, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of comfort there. There's a lot of peace there. There's everything that is good and holy and pure and right is right there in your relationship with Christ. And it's right there for you to have, to pick. It's that big fruit basket of Jesus in your life that should produce fruit out of you, right? But, but when we, we see it, when we open that gift of God's grace and love for us, it's full of so much and more. Paul gives um, those who strive to walk by faith some, some do's and don'ts as you look through this. So check it out with me. He says, here, here here's some things to think about. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Right? All of this is from God, right? This is godly good stuff. Like-minded, like Jesus, like God. Think like them. That way we're all like-minded as far as how we treat people. Not, not in every little detail of your life. We're all unique. God knows that. He made us all unique and different and creative. We all have different interests. We have different things going on in our world. That's okay. It's not against that. We're not supposed to be a bunch of robots all doing and thinking and acting the same way. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how we treat people, how we love one another, how we get along as a community and a world and a humanity. So he's talking about be like-minded, have the same love. Be one in spirit. Be one in mind. Okay. Do nothing, he says, here's the don'ts, do nothing out of selfish ambition, do nothing out of vain conceit, like just out of your own desire to have the glitter of the world. He says, be humble. We're going to get to humble again here in a little while, but he says, be humble. Be humble. See, rather, in humility, be humble. In humility, value other people above yourself. See, this is Christ-mindedness. This is like Jesus. Like, you want to really go all the way and be like Jesus? In humility, value others above yourself. That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. It's so not. We want to defend ourselves, right? We, want, we don't want to be taken advantage of. We want the edge. We want the win. We're competitive people. We want the victory. Sometimes that means we step on whoever we can to get it. Not cool. Value other people above yourself, he says. Don't look to your own interests, but you look, Christ-mindedness, you look to the interests of others. You look for ways that you can build other people up. And don't worry about yourself. Let God take care of you. How cool is that, right? 
How hard is that? How difficult is it? This is what it looks like to be like Jesus. This is what it means to walk by faith. And then Paul comes right out of the gate. And so he comes right out of the gate in verses 1 to 4. And he's saying to us, like, this should be our attitude. This is what our behavior ought to look like. This is what we should look like. Because this is a true reflection of Jesus. The way we treat people. The way Jesus treats people. And then verse 5, he says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So all those verses, all those things, is the way Jesus is. He's saying, you be like this. And he, he pulled it apart. He pulled this apart and he defined what that looks like. What it should look like and what it shouldn't look like. He helps us with this. And then he takes it to a whole other level in verse 6. The second part of this section. He says, he just got done saying, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Paul is like, let me tell you about the very heart of Jesus. The, the one you are striving to walk by faith in, the very person that you are following, that you are a disciple of, that you are claiming, that you are patterning your life after. Let me tell you a little bit about this Jesus. And Paul's going to get super heavy here. I mean, he goes from treat people nice, be loved, be kind, be good, be wonderful, be like Jesus, and then boom. It's like he gives us a right hook or a gut punch, it's going to knock the wind out of you. If you're listening, if you're taking in what Paul is saying right here, this is going to knock the living daylights out of you. I hope you're ready for that. Get ready for that. Let me tell you about the heart of Jesus. And it's not a bunch of talk, Paul's saying. It's not a bunch of talk. Not about what we should do. It's not like God saying, here, you live like that. You do this, you do this, you do this. Do and he's like unwilling to do it himself. This is Jesus saying, you, you treat people the way I treated you because he went first, right? He did it first. He came here and he did it first. He backs up his words with his own actions. Like he came to the earth. Jesus did. He doesn't just say, do these things. He says, I'm going to do them first, and now you follow my example. But he's willing to go first, you know? He's willing to go first. This is the Jesus who came to save us. Paul says he is the very nature God. That means he is God. He is, he is God. He is made of everything that makes up God the Father, makes up Jesus the Son. The very same stuff that is God is Jesus. Okay, so they are one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all equal. They are one. They're all God. Okay, in heaven, before creation, they are all one. Just picture it like that. Well, this Jesus, third, the third part of the Trinity, 
He did not consider equality with God something that he should just be used to his own advantage. And, and the word, some translations say uh, something that he should grasp or something that he should hold on to or cling to. So he lets go of his equal standing with God and he comes to the earth to become one of us. God, Jesus, lets go of equality with the Father to become one of us. And verse 7, look what he says. He made himself, he rather, he made himself nothing. That's not just a statement. There is so much power in this statement of Jesus's. He made himself nothing, like really nothing. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the mind of Jesus. This is the heartbeat and the character and the quality of Jesus. He made himself nothing. Voluntarily, Jesus emptied himself he emptied himself. He like stripped it all away. He turned in his rights as God, all of his Godhood, all of his glory, all of his divinity. He made himself, to some translations say, of no reputation. That means he made himself no one. Lower than a peasant, he made himself no one taking on the very nature of a servant. He became, he became for us a slave. There's a lot of that talk going on in the world of who owes who what. God became a slave to come to the earth to serve us. You know what? If we really understood what God did for us, we would stop all the talk about who owes who what and what right I got, what right you got, and you owe us, or I owe you, or they were evil. God, God himself let go of heaven. Jesus let go and he became a slave for you and me. He lowered himself from God to slave. He let go of being God to become a slave for us. Being made in human likeness, Jesus became a man with flesh and blood just like you and I. He was eternal and he let go of it. He made himself nothing. He became a slave. He took on a skeleton of flesh and blood being found in the appearance as a man. God became one of us. Jesus became like you and me. In every way, shape, or form, Jesus became one of us to save all of us. Jesus. He lowered himself far below the creator's status, which is what he was, his godhood. He made himself lower than that, even far below us. He lowered himself. Jesus did not pull us up. Jesus lowered himself and lifted us up. He lowered himself below us. And this is what extreme, an extreme faith walk looks like. 
This is what extreme faith looks like. It looks like Jesus. He's the pattern. He's the example. He's the one we're all striving to walk like. Do we really realize and understand the depth, the extremeness of his love, the extremeness of his attitude toward us? Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. It's extreme humility. It is extreme humility to make yourself nothing when you really are everything. That is extreme humility. To make yourself nothing when you are really everything. And it's in its extreme obedience, it says he became obedient to death. It is extreme obedience to go to a cross that had my name written on it. Your name is written on it. My name is written on it, not his name. It was my sin that Jesus came for. It was my punishment that he took on himself. It was my death that he died. It was my soul that needed to be rescued. He gave his life that I might live. It's no wonder. It's no wonder that the father then exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus, because of his extreme humility, is now lifted up to the highest place. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me say it again. Every knee that has ever lived in all of human history, every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that you are Lord, Jesus. You are Lord. It's all about the timing See, for you and me, it's all about the timing of that. Either we will surrender ourselves voluntarily now and let Jesus Christ be Lord of our life, repent, confess, come clean, be immersed into Jesus and let the Holy Spirit come and live in us. And we will acknowledge that he is Lord and we will gladly bow before him now. Or one day, we will be forced to when he comes. If you don't do it voluntarily now, you will do it later. You will admit, you will acknowledge, and your tongue will confess. It's all about the timing. You wanna do it voluntarily or do you want it to be something that you have to do because you realized how wrong you were? Jesus is author. Jesus is perfecter of everything there is, including this walk of faith that we strive to walk in. Look, the one who came and died for our sins, the one who came 
and bore our sins on in his body on that cross, demonstrating what you and I aspire to do. He demonstrated what we are striving to do, and that is walk by faith. Jesus is the extreme ultimate in walking by faith. He accomplished it all. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that would come for us who so don't deserve it, who are so selfish and so stuck on ourselves? What kind of love is this? No wonder the crowds were amazed at Jesus. Who is this God that would create so much beauty Make you and I in his very image. And when we walked away, separating ourselves from him would come and would die in our place. What kind of love is this? There is no one like the Lord. There is none. You know, there's an old hymn. There's a lot of old hymns, but there's an old hymn that we sing. It's called, How Great Thou Art. And in the third verse, in the third verse, it says this, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. I scarce, I, I can't even begin to comprehend why. Why God would, would go through such extremes for me, for you, for us. I don't fully understand this amazing grace. And we go through our lives we go through our lives and we just get sucked in. We just get sucked into the world. And every once in a while, we need to read this passage and be reminded of, of the extreme love that God the Creator has for us people on this planet who don't deserve to be loved like this. Can, can we get real, as I wrap this up, can we just get really real for a minute you're, you're going to want to take a deep breath. You're going to want to take a deep breath, maybe a couple of them. Okay, because I want to I just close with this final thought. But it's going to be another gut, it's going to be a gut punch because, because in the midst of Paul saying, hey, have the mind of Jesus, don't do this, do this, be kind to people, love people, lift them up above you. In the midst of it all, he's, he's really saying something much deeper and much more powerful and much more profound. <laughs> and, and, and I want to get to it. All right, so take your deep breath and here we go. Be ready. Be ready. This is like the, the last round of a, a boxing match and Rocky is getting his head beat in. And, uh, but he's going to come out victorious because he's going to get the victory. If Jesus, if Jesus, the God of the universe, if Jesus, the God of the universe, would come to this earth and give his life for you and for me in this extreme way, 
He would empty himself. He would be made, he'd make himself nothing. He became one of us to save us. He would humble himself to slave status. He would become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you know where the most uncomfortable place on the earth is? Do you know where it is? Tortured and nailed to a cross. Sacrificed like an animal being slaughtered. That is the most uncomfortable place that one could go ever. Isaiah said his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form was marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was slaughtered and tortured like, a, like, a, like an animal. He's God. He did not have to do this. He did this for you and he did this for me. If our God and our creator of the universe would come and die for you and me in this way, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Flaunting ourselves all over the planet like we're something. Shaking our fist at God as if we don't need him. Playing with human life as though we're God. Living so comfortable in our little air-conditioned palaces. And acting as if we've got this. We got this. Well, I've got news for you. We don't have anything. It has us. It has us. We don't have it. Just who do we think we are? Who do you think you are? Who do we think we are? The God of all creation would come and lay down his life for us. And we're going to walk around this place like we're something? When we're nothing, we need to start repenting. We need to change our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. Have you ever gone into the ocean, uh, like on a rough day, maybe, you know, living near the coast of North Carolina for a while, hurricanes would come and go, and when hurricanes come, you know, people like to go to the beach because they like to see the ocean just get but like you walk out into the ocean on a rough, blistery day and the waves are coming and they're coming hard and you get in there to your ankles and then to your knees and then maybe your waist and then a wave comes and it's big and it's rough and it's going to blast you and it just wipes you off your feet. Just takes you out and you love it, but it probably wasn't the most comfortable thing, but it just sweeps you away. You know, I'm afraid that many of us have gotten so used to the world around us and so used to living our lives in our day by day in our jobs and our homes and our kids and, and we haven't realized like, like that frog in the boiling, slowly cooking water, we are being swept away. Spiritually, we are being swept away and we don't even realize it. 
we don't even realize it. We, we ought to start repenting. We ought to start repenting and asking God to forgive us for being so presumptuous, thinking so highly of ourselves. When the king of the universe, the God of all creation came here, lowered himself, became a servant and died on a cross for us so that we might live. You wanna walk by faith? You wanna walk by faith? Really? Really? Then have the mind of Jesus. Then have the mind of Jesus and line your behavior up with his. Just line your behavior, my actions, my mindset, my attitude, my outlook. Just line it up with the one that I am claiming to walk like. Jesus. Walk by faith is going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. And you can't do it halfway. You're either all in with the power of the Holy Spirit helping you, or you are going to be swept away. Father, we love you so much, and we need you so desperately, God. Father, teach us to have the mind of Christ. Give us the will and the commitment and the faithfulness to you that everything in our being that we do control, that we have will over, God. Help us to direct it directly at you, God. Father, help us to have the mind of Jesus as we live out each and every day, as we treat people the way we do. God, do something big in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, you guys. Have a great week.